Thanks, Sess. Um, morning, everybody. It's um, so nice to be with you. And um, just to uh, kick off by saying I had the privilege last week of going to... Uh, thanks, Austin. Austin serves us so well in the meeting manager. Can we just big him up? Um, I um, was able to go to one of our um, sister churches um, in the group of churches that, that we're part of, Grace Connection, over in Manchester um, last weekend. And um, on the way there, my son, who's two, said to my wife, Emma, Mommy, will there be any girls there? I was like, mate, you are asking questions well ahead of your years. Um, but it was so nice to, sit, to, to be with them, to see the grace of God upon them. Wonderful diversity in the meeting. Loved hearing the Mancunian accents, people queuing up to, uh, to contribute. It's just great. They're doing really, really well. And so we, we thank God. Um, I wonder if you've um, ever asked the question, does God care about my situation? Maybe, I suppose there's one for you online, you've just been pinged, having to isolate, is it 530,000 people this week, something like that. Perhaps COVID has asked you to ask some big questions about your job, your future, your vocation. Maybe you're asking things about the relationships in your life. You're like, Does God really care about my situation? Well, as Ez referred to um, at the start of the meeting, today we are introducing a, a new series in the book of Amos in the Bible, which the subtitle of which is Justice and Righteousness. God cares about all sorts of things, but these are two things very much um, on his heart. And per the graphic that um, Laura Aldridge has wonderfully uh, designed for us, it's based on Amos 5.24, which of course uh, Martin Luther King Jr. made popular, let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Justice and righteousness are two big themes in the book that we're going to have a look at, but they're quite Bible-y words, aren't they? And um, maybe with justice, we have a, a little more idea of what we might think that that means. Um, though, of course, we, we do have to make sure that we're asking what true biblical justice um, is, rather than simply um, everybody getting the opportunity to kind of do whatever it is they want. We have to let God, God set the standards. But righteousness is, is a bit more of a Bible-y word, isn't it? And I suppose just so we've sort of got some idea of the definitions, just at a very simple definition, it might be something like kind of right living, like, like something that seems right. Um, that there is a film somewhere. I would have loved to have told you what film it was. Gus and I were trying to find out this week. We had no idea. If you know what the film is, please let me know afterwards, and the evening meeting can get it. But where the actor, all I know is a black actor, they're, they're talking uh, as a group together, and uh, this guy said, uh, asked what he thinks about something. He's like, righteous. Yes. And um, I don't know what the film is. If there's any idea in the room, please let me know. But the idea is like it, it sits well, like there's a consistency. It, it, it seems kind of right. And, and so when we talk about God being righteous, what it means is that he does what he says he does. He's loving and just and kind and merciful and holy all the time. There's a consistency of character that is going on there. And so by contrast, unrighteousness, unrightness, if you like, is where there's something that's clearly wrong or, or inconsistent. You know, a little bit like mint ice cream. There's something clearly wrong, isn't there? Why on earth would you, that was controversial in the room, why would you take the flavor of toothpaste and put it into a sweet treat? I mean, it, it, it would be akin to creating mouthwash ice cream. You know, it's something clearly wrong. But more seriously, like when we, when we act in an ungodly way, it's, it's labeled unrighteous because it's, it's not right. It's not consistent with who we are. 
when we act in ways that are not like the Jesus who defines us, there's, a, there's an inconsistency with who we truly are. And so for, for Amos, he, um, he was a shepherd, or I suppose more accurately, like a leader of shepherds, a kind of shepherd manager or shepherd head coach these days, isn't it? But, um, but he was from the southern kingdom of Judah, and he spoke to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, that needs a little bit of explain, explaining. So there was one country, uh, Israel, broadly uh, in the same place as where the nation state of Israel is today. Um, David of uh, Goliath fame ended up being the king there. His son Solomon succeeded him. Um, but by the end of Solomon's reign, the nation had turned away from following God. And so what actually ended up happening was that the one nation, Israel, ended up splitting into two. Now, there's the northern kingdom of Israel that kept the name, sort of 10 tribes or so in, in the kind of northern region. And then the southern kingdom was called Judah, um, but it housed the temple, the dwelling place of God. And they thought that the people in the north were, were kind of spiritually illegitimate, that they kind of gone off and, and, and done their, their own thing. And so Amos, who's from the southern kingdom, Judah, goes up to the northern kingdom, Israel, and delivers a message from God. So he's, he's called a prophet, delivering a message from God. He doesn't go on for like 40 chapters or so. So he just gets labeled a minor prophet, you know, in the Bible. But, um, but sadly for this northern kingdom, it was not good news that he delivered to them. It was a message of how they had not been a people of justice and righteousness and therefore they had incurred the judgment of God. And so we've got some big themes um, coming up in this series. The, the actions of the people are clearly abhorrent to God. And so the question really is why? Why? Well, the first thing that we see from the book of Amos is that we have a God who really cares about justice. Let's just open it up by reading Amos 1 and 2. So I'm, I'm reading from the ESV. The words will come up on the screen and on your screen at home. Here's what it says. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, it's just a place in the southern kingdom of Judah, which he saw concerning Israel, northern kingdom, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, southern kingdom, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake, which is a historically definable event. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures, uh, pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. And just as a starting, point, as we, as a starting place as we approach the book of Amos and all that it speaks about, isn't it such a tremendous comfort to know that we have a God who deeply cares about justice? Yeah, we all saw the horrific abuse of Marcus Rashford, Bucky Osaka, Jaden Sancho this week online and on the, the mural in Manchester. And we have to call that out for what it was. It was vile. It was horrific. It was sinful. It has no place in our society. And I, I want us to recognize as a church family that if you're a, a person of color amongst us, that that may well have hurt even more touched you in, in a way that is far deeper and, and taps into experiences that I haven't had and, and, and understand, that maybe you might be feeling exhausted by continually seeing this kind of thing in society, that the pace of change must feel incredibly slow. And we have to say that the right response, as every time we see something like this, is a godly anger that motivates action. 
And I say a godly anger because our hope for change, and we must keep talking about this, if we are silent, nothing changes. Our hope is ultimately that we have a God who is passionate about justice. And he is not silent about the injustices in the world. Racism in this case, others in the book of Amos, he is not tentative in his declarations about them. We read in verse two, the Lord roars from Zion. He's about to speak into justice and righteousness with a roaring tone. That's how he feels about these things. And as he does, it shakes our very world. The abomination of racism is met with the anger of a God who despises it and puts it into the hearts of his people to fight it. And so it's worth us asking after a week like this week, how are we doing about talking about these things as, as a church family, about speaking out where and when we can, about celebrating our racial and cultural diversity because this is the church that Jesus died for that it will be a display of his splendor, all nations coming together, united by him, is very much in the heart of God. And so we can know that God really cares about how this sort of stuff makes us feel. You know, however you've processed things this week, God is right there with you in the pain. And that is because the second thing that we see in the book of Amos is that God cares about the health of his people. He cares about the health of his people. Because at this time, when Amos from the south was speaking to the, the Israelite country, uh, Israel in, in the north, the country of Israel was actually the, the biggest that it ever got to in, in Old Testament times, or amongst the biggest. Like they'd won some battles, so their borders were a little bit bigger. Um, they'd actually got much of what they desired. It was quite an affluent country. But, and yet they had turned aside to the idols of culture, forgotten who they were and who they were meant to represent. And although there was affluence, they'd become utterly godless. Their growth was not healthy. And you know, we need to hear this as, as a church because we love this city and we have got grand plans and dreams and desires for the changes that we'd love to see, the way that as the kingdom of God comes in this place, the redemption of society that might take place, the, the lives that might be changed by the gospel. In the early days of Grace Church, we used to say time and time again, we are not here just to gather a crowd. We're here to impact a city. And to use more modern language of our, our vision statement, we want to build here a thriving community. When I was growing up back in Stoke, um, I had a friend called Greg, and um, Greg was an absolutely lovely, lovely guy. Uh, he had a, a medical condition where his body grew at a rate that his internal organs just couldn't keep up with. And so Greg was absolutely huge and massive. Lovely guy, could reach anything, great, great at basketball, you know, all those sorts of things. But unfortunately, his body has all sorts of issues because it just couldn't keep up with the pace of growth. And we have to hear this for us too, because we, we must grow healthily. Every time we reach out into a new place, every time we plant a new home group, every time there's more um, numbers on church suite or what, whatever it is, it must be healthy growth. And that's why we keep talking about the importance of serving on a team of going on a journey of financial giving and, and in following Jesus, of being accountable in a home group, 
in the life of the church. Because it's, it's not just because Grace Church needs like volunteers, finance, buy-in, or anything like that. It, it's because we want to build healthily. We want to be a thriving, Christ-like community. Israel had forgotten in Amos that they were meant to be a godly people and had become a godless people. We are a Christ-like people. And the book of Amos, Amos asks if we are living like it. Which brings us on to the question of how is it that we are to see the judgment that fills the book of Amos? It talks about it an awful lot. And, um, and actually on to our third point, which is that God cares about righteousness. And if you remember, we define it as, as like right living, consistency of character, behavior matching identity. And uh, I'm going to um, continue reading. So this is chapter 1 from verse 3. And um, this is where Amos starts to speak to some of the, um, the countries that are around Israel. And this one is to Syria. And he says, for three transgressions of Damascus, capital of Syria, and for four, so three plus four, seven, seven in the Bible is completeness. So what he's saying is, for all the ways that Syria has rebelled against God, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they have threshed Gilead. Gilead was um, a place where one of the Israelite tribes, the tribe of Gad, resided. And he says they threshed them with sledges of iron. Now, that was a tool that was used to separate grain. And, um, and so if, whether what's being talked about there is a, is a literal thing or a metaphorical thing, what's being meant there is that there's been an oppression, in this case of, of the people of God, um, that goes against everything of who God is. And so what Amos um, says, inspired by the spirits, is, so I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael. It will devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. They were two big figures in Syrian history. I, I will break the gate bar of Damascus, cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon, and him who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, three important places in the nation of Syria. And he finishes by saying, and the people of Syria shall go into exile in Kerr. And Kerr was actually the, the ancestral home of the people of Syria. And so what's being meant there is that for all these years of history, what's going to happen to them is that they're going to go back to the place where everything began with nothing to show for it. And actually, you see that fulfilled in, in 2 Kings chapter 16. And, and so Amos repeats this kind of idea several times over with other nations around Israel. And, and you're going to ask, well, how are we to see that? It could be your, your first time that you've um, come into the room here today or checked us out online. It's so great to have you here. And you, you could be very forgiven for asking the question. Here's some guy who's like judging the world. I've seen people like that who stand on street corners. They look really weird. Like what on earth is being talked about here? Be a very legitimate question. But what I would, what I would say is that we, we must recognize that this is not the final word. I mean, you, you can tell by virtue we are partway through the book. There's still all, all of this to go. We've got to make sure that we, we finish the story, as it were. I was once serving on the kids, one of the kids' work um, teams uh, here. It was Easter Sunday, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, we showed the kids a, a, a video got to the point where Jesus died, and then the parents came, and it was time to finish the session. You kind of run out of time. And you had to like sort of start the video and be like, some of you may well already know, Jesus did in fact come back to life and he, he's here forever to live with us and to help us. He's alive again. Right, thanks. Okay, off you go. Let's, let's finish the story. We've got to see what's being spoken about here through the lens of the New Testament, which if you're new to the Bible is everything from Jesus onwards. So here's how we should look at this, this theme of judgment in the book of Amos. 
And for this, I am going to need a volunteer. Now, I've already arranged this, just so it's not awkward in the room. Phil, who is living with us at the moment for a couple of weeks, has very kindly agreed, not knowing exactly what's to happen, to be our volunteer. So let's give him a round of applause. Yeah, just now. Cool. How are you doing, Phil? Very well. How's your housemates? <laughs> the, fir the first thing that, that when we look at um, the, the theme of judgment in the book of Amos, first thing that we have to know is that all sin, that is our rebellion against God, the things we do that are contrary to his best, will actually be, be punished. And um, that sounds quite full on, doesn't it? So you need to do an intense face. There we go. Look at the intensity in that face. Perhaps this is the next thing. You can tell us what, our, what your biggest sin is at the moment. I, I'm joking. Don't. No, no, no. That's, that's a joke. But actually, that statement is a good thing because it shows that we have a just God. It is, for instance, the reason why the actions of the racists, why the actions of those who attacked Wembley during the Euro final, why the, the actions of the drug, drug lords and the human traffickers will not be left unchecked. Actually, it only sounds intense because we know that we are not perfect either. And I'm going to do a little illustration. You've probably been wondering why it was I had a glass of wine, uh, a bottle of wine here. Don't worry, it's very cheap. Um, I don't know, Phil bought it actually. I think it was. Do I owe you for that? <laughs> you told me it was 20 quid. It's a little bit like we've got this glass of wine here. You'll be able to see kind of the purity of, of that wine. And I suppose what this symbolizes is that each of us are made in the image of God. And there is so much around the world that is good about what humanity does. Fighting oppression, standing for the vulnerable. All sorts of things that you can imagine. And actually lots of us will be able to identify. There's plenty of things we do that are, that are good in society. But actually what we're less good at identifying is the times where we do this in our life. Now, I know you like a glass of wine, don't you? Yeah, I checked that out before, so that's all right. And would you drink this one? No, you wouldn't, because it's got my spit. I moved this out of the way just for COVID. There you go, Joe, so we're all right. Our lives can sometimes feel a little bit like this, that there's lots of good that go on. We'll meet this in lots of conversations, like lots of people in our, in our world would, would think like this, like my life's inherently good, and yet from time to time, Actually, what we need to admit is that we do things like this. And even though this is still 99% wine to 1% spit, actually, no one is going to drink this. And actually, the Bible goes even further. It says that, that the way that we live away from God is more akin to kind of, if you forgive it being so full on, but is, is more like vomiting into the glass. That, that, that's truly how, when we rebel against God, things Oh. It's worth saying as well that actually this is the same for how we can feel where things are done to us as well. In a room this size and watching online, there are plenty of experiences in the room where you have been wronged horrifically and living with things and trying to process things. And actually that can feel like this too. Like my life, which was going this way, suddenly this thing happens and then it feels like it's kind of spoiled the whole thing. But the good news is that Jesus, whom Phil is representing with this pure glass of wine, Jesus never 
sinned once, never compromised once, never was in rebellion to his father once. He holds the purity of a life lived before God, living the life that we could not do. And what Jesus did when he died on the cross, when he gave himself, was he swapped the wine glasses with us. We read in verse two, the Lord roars from Zion. That was true in Amos's day. It was true on the cross as well. Zion, Jerusalem, the place where Jesus was crucified. The roar that shaped and affected the whole world. And now if we put our trust in Jesus, what we carry is this perfect record of life lived by Jesus that covers our every sin, our every mistake, but every ounce of shame that comes our way too. And the beauty is that I do not have access to spit into this glass, such as his finished work. I want to become more and more like Jesus every day. But actually, the reality is that often I come close to him and I spit still further. And whilst his spirit is working within me to change me, to be more like him, actually, we still do these things. But the beauty is that this remains. But when the New Testament talks about sin, about our rebellion against God, for all that it talks about us becoming increasingly like Jesus, actually its main focus is what it calls the the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, or something like that, where Jesus one day will return to earth, will take his people to be with him forever, and and every one of us actually in the world will stand before the judgment seat of God. That's what the Bible says is, is going to happen. And in that day, my life will be held up and will be shown to have fallen short for the spit that is in the wine. That is once again the place where, as Amos says, the Lord will roar from Zion. That is where all sin will be judged. The things that we see in the world, the things that we see in our own lives, the things that we wish nobody knew about, the things that nobody actually does know about. But it shows that we have a just and perfect God. And if I was still holding that glass, I would be in deep, deep trouble because God is pure, holy, set apart. But the beauty is that when we put our trust in Jesus, this is what we hold forever. This is what we approach the judgment seat of God with, the covering of Jesus from things we have done, the cleansing from things that have been done to us and why we can have hope forevermore. But, as Amos would tap into, in this life, God in his kindness does sometimes allow us to see the consequences of our sinful choices. And so actually we're to see this series in Amos as as knowing who our God is, as what he's like, and then as a result, checking our lives to see if they look as pure as the Jesus who defines them. And when invariably we fall short, we're to come to him, in this case, Phil, in repentance and prayer, confident of his work in us that forgives our every mistake, that when things are are done to us, that he's confident of his cleansing in our lives. And we're to know his kindness as he changes us, forgives us, and moves us on to be that little bit more like him. Phil, you've been a great volunteer. Let's give him a round of applause.
And so what, what Amos begins to do is that he begins to list the nations that surround um, Israel. And uh, we've got a map on screen, actually. I don't know how well you'll be able to um, see it or not. Um, Israel is the green one, if that's easier to see. And I know some people love maps, some people are like, yeah, whatever. But it's what, what he begins to do is he starts to comment on the nation surrounding that, that green bit there, the, the, the nation um, of Israel. And he starts with the ones that are very much foreign to them. Then he moves on to those that are historically related to them before ending up in his seventh pronouncement. Remember, seven is completeness in the scriptures. And he ends up at their sister nation of Judah, which is just underneath. It's kind of, I have no idea what color that is. Someone's going to have to tell me that. But it's, it's underneath Israel there. And it's their sister nation. He pronounces judgment on them. God via Amos condemns their unrighteous behavior, their lack of justice. And that actually brings us on to, to our fourth point, which is that God cares about his world. God cares about his world. He is the king of the whole earth. And, and so whether, as we look at, around our world, whether that's the persecution of Christians in places like North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, and that's the, the Open Doors World Watch list uh, there, whether it's the appalling human rights records, places like China, Iran, Cameroon, that's the UN Watch List top three. There were, in reality, I, I suspect many of us would recognize the top, the top 10. Whether it's aggressive secularization, the harboring of terrorists, or even lack of care for the planet. The point is that God will not ignore the actions of those who deliberately perpetrate injustice and unrighteousness. And you can imagine the people in this northern nation of Israel cheering Amos on as he went around the countries and said, this one has done this, and so God's judgment is coming upon them. This one has done that, and so God's judgment is coming upon them. And then you can imagine even more so where at the start of Amos chapter 2, he turns on Judah, the southern nation, his own people from whom Israel had broken away and starts to pronounce God's judgment on them. You can imagine his approval ratings amongst these Israelites in the north going through the roof. You're like, yeah, go get them. You know, is the history of the animosity where they'd broken away. This was a bit like, I suppose, a Westminster parliamentary official going up to a Scottish National Party gathering and denouncing the politics of England. Like that, that's kind of a sort of modern equivalent of, of, of what's going on. He's speaking against the very nation and system that he's part of. And for us too, we, we need to be careful that we don't just confine our notions of, of ungodly activity just to the rest of the world, as it were, amidst the UK's secularism or materialism or pluralism, whether it's our child poverty or the, the lack of um, adequate jobs and housing or the, the drug and gang issues that, that plague the cities of our nation. Actually, Amos would call for our nation to turn and to repent to. And I'm going to leave us on that Amos-inspired bombshell to think about. So let's have the band up. Except no, because that is exactly, sorry guys, that is exactly what the people of Israel thought that Amos was doing. He had made seven pronouncements. Seven is completeness. That was it. He'd finished just that southern kingdom of Judah speaking against them. They thought he was done. They thought that was the final word. Surely there is nothing more to say. Except our fifth and final point is that God cares about his people. 
Here's what it says in Amos chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, so this is the hearers, and for four, so remember three plus four, seven, completeness, for all the transgressions of the people of God, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. There's injustice and greed. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. There's the oppression of the vulnerable. A man and his father go into the same girl. There's their lack of morality, so that my holy name is profaned. There's a lack of holiness. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. There's their idolatry. And after appealing to them to say, look, I, I did all these things for you to try and call you back to myself, and you refuse to hear me. He goes on to say in, in verse 13, and I'm using the NIV here, just a slightly easier reads. It says, now then I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground and the fleet footed soldier will not get away and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. And you know, when we enter into this series of, uh, in Amos, if it just remains, isn't the world so ungodly without us first ensuring that we are a people of justice, that we are a people of righteousness, that we are a people of compassion and holy living who worship only God and act to stop oppression, then we totally miss the point. Amos asks us, where do we need to repent? Where do we need to change? Where do we need to act? Individually and corporately together. Only unlike Israel, we don't do it as a breakaway people, separated from the presence of God, bigger yet unhealthier than ever before. We do it at the cross, the roaring place of God, where mercy triumphed over judgment, and when we find power to change. Amen. I actually have finished this time, so let's have, let's have the band up. And um, just as we respond to this, and take as much of this away as possible, Austin, to help you. It's important that as we kind of hear where um, Amos has got to, that actually we spend a moment to reflect. And we take a moment to ask those questions. Where do we need to change? Where do we need to repent? Where do we need to act? And so that, that's what we're going to do. We're, um, we're not going to sing together. The, the band will um, uh, play in the backgrounds. And I just want us each to take a moment just to examine our hearts before our beautiful Savior. Remember that he is holy, but remember that he has atoned for our every sin. Remember that he knows everything, yet remember that he gives us the power to change to become more like him, to overcome any barrier, to find healing and wholeness from anything that has been done. And so just in these moments, I want us just to reflect, to pause, to have some time with Jesus, just to ask him to speak to you. Where do I need to act? Where do I need to change? Where do I need to repent and change direction?
Let's come to our Father in heaven through the work of his finished son.